Let's dive into our text today. It's going to be Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. But before we get into that, okay, I have a lot of crazy stories from my days playing professional and junior hockey. And I wanted to start with one that I felt I was being led to share, which you're going to think is kind of weird after I share it. But I actually originally retired this story, but I'm bringing it out of retirement. If you ever, ever heard me speak at camp or at youth group last year, you may have heard this. So when I was 19 years old, I was playing for the Dryden Ice Dogs in Dryden, Ontario, just in the middle of nowhere, okay? Our biggest rival were the Fort Francis Thunder. They were about two hours away from us. Every other team we played was like five, 10, 12-hour bus ride away. So we were playing the Fort Francis Thunder, a team that we just despised, all right? And this game, it was game 60 of 65. So it was really late in the year. And the standings were pretty much set that we were going to end up playing them in the playoffs. So this game really didn't mean anything other than sending a message for that playoff series. All right, so I remember the game. We were up like 5-1, only like five minutes left in the game. We had that game in the bag. It was one of those rivalries where if you watch hockey, after every single whistle, there was pushing and shoving and trash talking. And something in particular happened after one of these whistles with five minutes left, okay? One of our players skated out of the scrum. And for whatever reason, one of their guys skated up behind him, grabbed him, and sucker punched him down to the ice, all right? He hit him so bad that his eye was like as big as a tennis ball and was sealed shut. And we were just livid on the bench, like so upset with this guy. And so the refs quickly jump in. They grab this guy to skate him off of the ice, but to get off the ice, he has to skate by our bench. And so as he's skating by our bench, he looks at all of us and he winks and he blows us a kiss. Woo! You can imagine our blood was just boiling. This guy just knocked out one of our teammates, one of our brothers, and it it really, really got to our coach, okay? So much so that our coach went over to our spare stick rack. He grabbed a spare stick and he lined up like he was in the javelin for the Olympics. He's like this. And he guns it over top of our bench, over the scorekeeper, into their bench and smokes their coach right in the head. And we're just like, oh my gosh, what just happened? Their coach realizes what happened, that it was our coach. So he steps off the bench, opens the gate, and onto the ice. Our coach steps off the bench, opens the gate, onto the ice. Two adult men in suit and ties at a junior hockey game in front of a sold out arena at center ice yelling at each other. Now, let me tell you something about my coach, Larry Wintoniak. Isn't that just a hockey name, Larry Wintoniak? He was a legend as a minor professional hockey player in Thunder Bay in the 70s. He would tell us just insane stories about how when games were out of hand, he would skate to the other team's bench and he would jump in their bench and try to fight the entire team. And he said, I knew I was gonna get beat up, but all I cared about is if I got one guy real good, right? Like this is who he was. And so we know what's about to happen here. They're yelling at center ice and their coach decides, I'm gonna throw a punch. So he throws a punch, Larry dodges it and we're just like, uh oh throws one back, knocks him to the ice, and we just can't believe what's happening, okay? And at that moment, all of us on the bench, we just kind of stopped and looked at each other, and we're like, is this happening right now? Are we doing this? Are we doing this? And we all just said, I'm in. Let's go. Simultaneously, all 20 of us jump over the boards 
all 20 from their team jump over the boards and we have a full on bench clearing brawl happening in front of this crowd that's just going insane. There's gloves and sticks all over the ice. It starts off kind of one-on-ones all over the place, but slowly you get pockets of like four of their guys on three of our guys. So you skate over, try to even the numbers. I remember looking over at one point and my athletic trainer was fighting their backup goalie. It's just absolutely, absolute chaos. And then my coach was on our bench on top of their coach, just yelling, old time hockey, baby. Woo! It's just absolute chaos ensuing everywhere. It took a while, but eventually it got all broken up. The whole arena looked like a yard sale, just equipment everywhere. We had a police escort out of town all the way back. And crazy enough, we actually had a game the very next night against the Fort Francis Thunder, (laughs) the exact same team at our arena. And I remember showing up about two hours before and the place was packed. (laughs) And there were cops everywhere. Ultimately, nothing happened in the rematch. We ended up playing in the the playoffs. Um, Doesn't matter what happened there. It's not important, (laughs) not important. So, all right, why tell you this? Isn't this text about the virgin birth? Right. So why tell this? Because just like we in that moment were presented with an over-the-top, crazy, unusual circumstances that none of us could possibly be prepared for, that on paper just sounded insane to be a part of, in that moment, we all looked at each other and we said, regardless of how crazy this is, amen, let's go. And likewise, Mary, so the natural hockey brawl to Mary transition, Mary, the virgin mother of Jesus, is going to be presented with the most out of this world, crazy plan for her life that she never could have imagined would happen to her, that interrupted her every plan that she had for her life, yet she said, amen, let's go. And that's faithfulness. So much so that we'll see that Mary has found favor with God. And that might be the call for us this morning to say, hey, I feel like God is pushing me towards something, whatever it may be. Maybe it's a big change in your life, a job, a house, a relationship. Maybe it's something more personal, forgiving someone, loving someone you've had a hard time loving, telling someone that thing you feel a push to tell them. Maybe you're back in church for the very first time and you just feel a push to get more involved. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's confessing something. Maybe it's praying to God for the very first time and asking him to reveal himself to you. I don't know what it is, but my hope in reading this text is that we would find boldness and encouragement to be like Mary and say, amen, let's go. And so three things I want us to ponder on this morning as we go through our text, three things to really think about. Number one, God's favor and love for you. Number two, God is using you for his purpose with his power. And number three, Mary's faithfulness. But before we do that, let me read the text for you. Luke 1, starting in verse 26. It'll be on the screen behind me as well. Here we go. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. 
And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So the first thing I want us to ponder on in this text this morning is God's favor and love for you. You have to know that God not only likes you, he doesn't just tolerate you. No, he loves you right now. He favors you. How many times have you heard that at church? God loves you. Like a million times, right? However, as we go about our day-to-day lives, our at work, our out shopping, driving kids everywhere, sitting in school, it can be easy for us to forget just how much God loves us and just how much his presence is with us. Look with me at Zephaniah chapter three, talking about this idea. It says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. So right now and everywhere you go, the Lord is walking with you and he is so, so pleased and loves you so much that he's singing about it. And what I want you to see this morning is that what is said about Mary in this text is also true about you. What is said to her? Oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. We shouldn't need Gabriel to come down in all his glory and beauty to remind us of that. We can look to Mary as a reminder. Ultimately, we can look to Jesus and his work on the cross as a reminder of how much he loves us. And so we're not going to have the angel Gabriel here today to remind us. I mean, probably not. So we're going to have to settle for me. It's okay. My mom calls me an angel. Just settle for me to remind you that you are the favored ones in God's eyes. That God actually favors his people. That he actually loves them and cherishes them. Despite any bad or rocky relationships you might have here on earth, where a sense of love or belonging can be inconsistent or conditional or even non-existent, you gotta know that God's love for you is immutable. That means it never changes. It's unconditional, meaning you don't have to do anything to earn it. And he looks at you and delights in you and is proud to call you his son or daughter. And we see it all over the Bible. Like you have no idea how blessed and favored you are by God. And Mary, she was stunned to hear this. She found it difficult to believe because who's Mary? Like she was nobody. And I get how she's feeling here because she's told from, from Gabriel that the son she will give birth to will be given the throne of David to be a king, to reign over all of his kingdom forever. And Mary's got to be thinking, if a king is being born, shouldn't he be born into a powerful family of royalty? 
it's unbelievably difficult for her to accept because she was no one. Let me show you this. In, in verse 26, it says this, Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. You can leave that on the screen for a second there, James. Now, Luke, the author, okay, he's very careful and he's a diligent historian. And so he knew that he couldn't simply just say, Gabriel came to Nazareth. Do you know why? Because culturally at this time, 99% of the known world would be like, where's Nazareth? What is that? It's like saying you're from Quinnell. My wife's from Quinnell. So are some, yeah, a couple others. <laughs> and so Luke helps out the reader here. And he's like, Galilee, it's in the middle of Galilee. That's where Nazareth is. But Nazareth was such an insignificant place. And Mary was an insignificant, poor, young girl. She was the furthest thing from royalty. Culturally, she was nothing. Like, she came from nothing. And if you really get into studying the gospel of Luke, one of the things I enjoy about the way he writes it is that he loves to write about Jesus's love for the poor, for the marginalized, for the outcasts, the isolated, the disreputable, like Zacchaeus, the tax collector, who would have been seen in his community as a scoundrel, as immoral, as wicked, yet Jesus draws near to him. Only in Luke do you get the story of the sinful woman who would have been shunned and isolated for her way of life, but not by Jesus. He sits next to her and says, your sins are forgiven. Only in Luke, in Luke 8, do you get the story of the women who support Jesus' ministry. Only in Luke do you get Jesus speaking specifically to the daughters of Jerusalem. That's what we see. Jesus very aware and favoring the women, the poor, the disreputable, the outcast, and Mary fits into all of those. She's poor, she's a woman, she is insignificant in the world's eyes, but God comes to her and says, you are favored, the Lord is with you. And the same is being said to you this morning. You are favored. The Lord is with you. And so the first thing we must learn to embrace about walking in God's kingdom is knowing that there is a God who is watching over his people and deeply loves you and treasures you. So number one, ponder on God's favor and love for you. Number two, God is using you for his purpose with his power. Let's read verse 29 to 33. It says, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. You'll notice in, in verse 29, as Mary reacts to this idea of God's favor and love for her, and, and I love this about Mary, you'll notice that this young woman is, she's a very careful thinker. She's not impulsive. 
We actually know from a few verses later that she's a poet and a writer. And she, and she delivers a beautiful song in what's called her Magnificat. But she's a very deliberate and diligent person. She's not an expert historian or an emotion-based person. No, she's a thoughtful person. And you can see it play out here in verse 29. It says, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this must be. That word discern translated from the Greek, that means she's thinking or she's pondering about what she has been told. She's taking in all of these things and she's pondering them. Sure, church, please do that this morning. Please do that during this season. Whether you've been a Christian for years and years and you've heard the Christmas story a million times, please slow down. Consider the miraculous events that took place to bring salvation to all people. Think about that. And if you're in here and, and you're brand new to church and this is all super weird and awkward and seems crazy to think that anyone could possibly believe any of that, let me just say, you are so welcome here. Your doubts are welcome. Your skepticism is welcome. No one's gonna make you believe anything or do anything you don't wanna do. But all I would ask of you this morning is to ponder on this. Think about it. What is the meaning of this life that we live? This greeting that God has given all of us through the angel, this is what Mary is doing here. She's pondering it. She's wrestling with all of these things. And so we saw in the first few verses that God favors his people with his presence. And now Gabriel is going to take her to the next level, starting in verse 30. And he's going to show us that God plans to use his people in whom he favors to be a part of his cosmic saving plan to bring about the fulfillment of promises made thousands of years before this. And this is incredible because Mary is told, and likewise we are told, that he loves us, he favors us, he treasures us, but now he tells us that God is going to use us to save the world. Now, of course, there's some unique things that make Mary stand out from the rest of us, right? Like, she is going to give birth to the Savior of the world. But at a higher level, there is a sense that we all share in this because God intends to use every single one of his people in some way or another. And the message that we're hearing here is that there is a whole lot happening in the very first advent, and there is a whole lot that's going to happen in the second advent when Jesus comes back, but there is a whole lot also that's going to happen in between those two, and we are a big part of that. And God is going to use us in that. And that's what he tells Mary here. He says the child who's going to be born in her is going to be a king, a very powerful, eternal king. And he is going to ascend to the throne of David, which had since been abandoned because Rome had oppressed and pushed out all of God's people. And they were waiting for a Messiah, a savior to come and take back the throne. But the angel actually goes beyond that. And he says in verse 33, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. See, if I can take you back here, culturally, the rabbis or the teachers of the day, they would have taught people that the Messiah would come to the earth, he would restore all things for a brief time, and then God himself would come down and take over his kingdom. That's what Mary would have been taught. 
But here she's being told something different that she didn't know. Now, the Old Testament tells us what is actually going to happen, but that message had been distorted by the rabbis of the day. And now she is coming to realize that the one she is going to give birth to is going to be the Savior and his kingdom will be established forever. So she is learning what we must learn if we are to embrace our part in this, that God plans to use you, that you have a part to play in all of this. And for her, this, this was probably difficult to believe. And likewise, you know, these things can be difficult for us to believe. See, we're told in the Bible that if you put your faith in Jesus, you are an adopted son or daughter of God with all of the rights, all of the privileges, and all the inheritances that a child of God gets. We essentially become the Gabriel. I say that because the name Gabriel means man of God. And Gabriel is presented here as the messenger of God. So what does that mean for us? It means that we become the woman of God, the man of God who takes the message of God everywhere we go in everything we do. But not only that, the Bible also tells us that no matter what you face as a child of God, that you will persevere through all the trials and afflictions of this life because God is watching over you with gladness and giving you his favor. And not only that, but after our time on earth has finished and Jesus comes back in the second advent, the Bible tells us that your body will rise just like his has and you will have a reconstituted, resurrected body just like his. Think about that a little today. And not only that, but you won't just have this new, glorious, resurrected, imperishable, unbreakable body, but you will dwell in happiness and peace forever and ever. So I get it. These things are hard to believe. It can sometimes be impossible. Some of these can be true. Unless God helps us with his power. They're just too grand, too big, too glorious for our little temporary earthly brains to comprehend. And so it was for Mary. And if you look at verse 34, you see her reaction as she responds, just as any of us would. She responds with a very logical and fundamental question. Let's look at it. Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? I empathize with her here because she's like, okay, this all sounds great. Maybe a little bit insane and out there. But let me just ask, how is this even possible? She's got to be thinking, like, I have never been with a man, and the man I'm going to marry is not my husband yet. Like, she knows the science behind all that. She gets the cause and effect of where babies come from, and she's like, uh, Gabriel, something's not adding up here. She's pondering all of it, and she asks, how is this going to be? And then the angel gives her perhaps the most magnificent answer in all of this text. And he teaches us that we not only come to know the favor of God and his love for us and his intent to use us in his cosmic plan of salvation, but that he is going to do all of this. All that seems impossible and illogical, he's going to do it all 
by his power, not by ours. And so Gabriel tells Mary, hey, don't worry. He's not gonna do this using your power, your might, your intelligence, your limited scope of the world. He's going to do it by his power. Look at verse 35. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. He's gonna do it by his power. And this is an extremely important verse for us this morning, and here's why. I believe, because of our human nature, and I'm right there with you, that there may be some of us in here who at some point, maybe even right now, struggle with the idea of a virgin birth actually happening. And if you don't believe in the virgin birth, you probably don't believe in miracles. That's probably why. And if you don't believe in miracles, then you're probably not a Christian because the very essence of our faith, every major cornerstone of our faith is founded upon a miracle, is it not? Like God created the heavens and the earth. That's a miracle. God sent his son to die on the cross for your sins 2,000 years ago as a substitute for you. That's a miracle. The resurrection of Jesus, by which we can have assurance that our sins have been paid for and our future resurrection is guaranteed, that's a miracle. The ascension of Jesus to the right hand of God where he rules over the entire universe and of which he is going to return in the second advent, that short church is a miracle. The fact that Jesus is both fully God and fully man, that's a miracle. All of these miracles fit together. You cannot remove any of those and still have biblical Christianity. And the reason the virgin birth is essential to our faith is this. In order for us to have a sacrifice which is sufficient to remove God's wrath is that the sacrifice must be from the same nature as ourselves. It must be from a human. Sure, in the Old Testament, we had lambs and goats and other animals to be sacrificed for our sins. But the Bible teaches that those sacrifices must continually happen until there is a satisfactory one to take their place once and for all. And those proved to be not satisfactory. They all pointed to something else. What did they point to? They pointed to the perfect sacrifice of a human being on behalf of another human being who is a sinner. And how can that sacrifice pay for you if that human being is a sinner? He would have his own life to pay for his own sins. So the sacrifice must be sinless and then he can be a substitute for you. But here's another problem. Maybe he can substitute for you, but how is he also going to substitute for me? He's only one life. So if you know someone who somehow makes it through his own life without sinning ever, and that perfect person lays down his life for you, a sinner, I'm going to celebrate that for you, good for you, but I'm still left out here in the cold. Unless the one who lays down his life is not only fully man, but is fully God, and the value of his sacrifice, the value of his atonement, his death covers not one sin, 
but a multitude of sin. And that's the case of our savior, Jesus, because he was born a virgin. He was indeed born the son of man, the son of David in the womb of a real girl. He was also born by a miraculous conception by God himself conceiving in the womb of this young girl. That makes Jesus fully God and fully man and most importantly, adequate and sufficient to lay down his life for all sins of all people. And that's why we sing rejoice. That's the reason why the virgin birth is not just some small detail. It's not just some tacked on doctrine, but it is essential for the forgiveness of sins. So we cannot dismiss it. We cannot minimize its importance in any way because it is through the virgin birth that we have been saved. And so Mary asked Gabriel, how is this gonna happen? He says, I'll tell you how. By the power of God. God says, you believe in miracles? Well, trust in me. Trust in what I promise I'm going to do. I'm going to do it by my power, not by yours. I'm going to work through you. I'm going to work in front of you. I'm going to work behind you, beside you, all around you. Sometimes I'm going to work in spite of you, but I'm going to work. It's my power. And that moves us to our third point to ponder on here, which is Mary's faithfulness in all of this. So we've seen so far that one, God has great favor and love for Mary and likewise does for you as well. And two, that God is using Mary and us for his purpose with his power to make the name of Jesus known. And finally, we're gonna see Mary's incredible faithfulness to God, which for us is an example of how we are called to be faithful to God. Now let's look at Mary's response, which for me, I think has been the most encouraging and inspiring thing I've pondered about all year. It's really a response that has echoed through the ages and a response that we as a church are called to. That we as a people have as our only proper response this morning. There's no other response that is appropriate for what God has already told us. That one, he has favor for us and loves us. And two, he is going to use us for his purpose by his mighty power. There's only one response that's appropriate. Verse 38. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I am a servant of the Lord. Whatever it is, I'm in. You know, oftentimes when we talk about service to the Lord and how we want to serve the Lord when we come into his house, we often talk about it from a sense of what fits our needs or our desires most, you know? What's the most convenient or efficient thing to my life? And, and that's all good. I believe we should serve God in areas that we're passionate about or find joy in. But what Mary is saying here isn't that, hey, I'm a great poet and a great writer and a great thinker, so I'm going to serve God with those things that I am enjoy doing. She's not saying that. 
but rather she's saying, God, I am a servant to you and whatever you would have for my life, I lay my yes down right now in advance. You just got to tell me where to go because I'm in. I'm in. It may not be what I had planned. I'm in. It may be an inconvenience to me. I'm in. Let's go. It may be costly. I'm your servant. See, what God has done for his people, as made evident in the life of Mary, is he has exalted us beyond what we ever thought we could be. Like he's taken us out of the ordinary, sinful, broken, hopeless life we were in. That's why she's called Mary. The name Mary means exalted one. And he has exalted us. And so what do we do? The only conceivable response is to put ourselves as low as possible in comparison with God and say, Lord, I am your servant. Let my life be whatever you would have. Why? Because he has exalted you. Because he gives favor to you. Because he loves you. Because he has amazing promises ahead for you. And so will you bow before him this morning and say, I am yours, I'm in. Wherever you lead me, I am your servant. And see, this is what I love about Mary and what I learned the most about her and really want in me as much as possible. I don't know that I'm there yet. The Lord will have to test me in this. But Mary doesn't care at all what this is going to cost her. And this costs her severely. But despite that, she says, Lord, I'm your servant. Amen. See, not long after this, people accused her of having sex outside of marriage, which led to people just hurling insults at her everywhere she went, every moment of her life. They scorned her, talked down to her everywhere. They marginalized her. They outcast her. Culturally, by the law she grew up reading about in Deuteronomy, she knew that she could have easily been stoned to death for this. Ultimately, she wasn't, but you got to imagine, the emotional damage was all the same. And despite all of this, when God called on her, she didn't give it a second thought. The difficulty didn't matter because she knew God favored her. God loved her. That the father in heaven was working through her for his great purposes. That he was lifting her up to make her a princess to his kingdom. And she says, whatever it is, Lord, whatever you would have of me, amen. And you too are being made the same. Princes, and princesses to his kingdom because this virgin birth happened. And so the question for us this morning then is what is God calling you to? I don't know what it is. Is it repentance? Confession? Forgiveness? A different direction in your life? Is it swallowing your pride and seeking help for that thing you've been struggling with for years? 
I don't know what it is. My hope is that our response would be, I'm in. Lord, I am your servant. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we need you so desperately. And we thank you that we just read that you favor and love us and we don't have to do this by our own power. Surely we would fail again and again if we had to do this by our power. And so we thank you that you come and walk alongside us and help us get through all of this. And so God, I just pray for those in here this morning with a heavy heart where something immediately came to mind that they're feeling a push towards. And God, I just pray for boldness and courage into whatever that thing might be. I pray that we can find confidence in you as Mary did. And despite the cost, we can know that the love you have for us does not compare to the difficulties this world is going to bring us temporarily, Lord. You are so much better, but we need you to transform our hearts to really believe that and live that out. And so we love you, God. We thank you that you came this Christmas season to save us from ourselves, to save us from sin, to give us hope, Lord. And so we just want more of you. You must increase. We must decrease, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.